Hey, hey, homebodies, what's happening? It's your girl, Rachel Presser, the Toad Lady, and today we're going to be talking all about the history of vaunted uh, home goods chain Crate and Barrel. So this was actually a really um, fun and interesting journey that I went on, you know, to find out about, you know, the history of the brand, you know, how it grew, you know, into such prominence. And I don't know, compared to some other, you know, home goods chains, even just like, you know, business in general, because, hey, I studied business and accounting actually in college um, before I went on the whole long, crazy journey that eventually led me here. So I just find it you know, really interesting, you know, just from like, you know, an American entrepreneurship point of view. So, yeah, without further ado, you know, yeah, Crate, crate and Barrel is just you know, one of those places where if you're on the older end of the millennial generation, you know, as I am. It's it's a brand that, like, I think a lot of us maybe just tend to associate with, like, you know, yeah, being, like, aspirational and kind of fancy, but yet still, like, approachable. If not affordable, at least, like, approachable. Um, You know, not, like, some of these, like, you know, like, listings that, like, we'll, you know, like what we'll see on, like, Zillow and Trulia and Street Easy and, like, drool over them being, like, oh, wow, I could never afford to, you know, like, get any of these appliances, like, I would totally be, like, kicked out on the street if I went into, like, you know, yeah, like, a Kohler showroom or something to go look at their crazy selection of smart showers and smart toilets, which I'll be discussing in another episode. Um, and so, yeah, like, no, like, so Crate and Barrel was not the shitty Ikea furniture that we knew all throughout college and stayed with us well after college and grad school and those first few crappy jobs in this trash country. And, God, yeah, some of us are just sick at shopping at Ikea. Um, no, Crate and Barrel is um, Ikea's cool, mature, older sister. Yeah, so she's got that bachelorette pad that you're drooling over, you know, um, in the city, not in Brooklyn, not in the Bronx, no, 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 she's in the city, but not in one of these, like, billionaire rigging neighborhoods, no, she's like the Sex in the City episodes, you know, like, that we watched, you know, throughout high school and college, you know, hoping that was gonna be us someday, um, rent-controlled apartment near Barney's and all, Actually, wait, I think at the time of this recording, like, Barney's is actually closing. Um, that's kind of sad. It's just going to become another fucking Chase Bank, the last thing we need in this place. Anyway, back to Crate and Barrel. Um, so, yeah, Crate and Barrel, yeah, doesn't grok with, you know, those shitty bookcases that have, like, that piece of, like, corkboard in the back where you can see the crease lines or, like, thinking of all the IKEA tables I have owned over the years like oh no their tables don't get they don't get what i call pimples that just appear over time except these pimples don't freaking pop and go away um no they don't get those like nicks on the corners oh no no crate and barrel is synonymous with quality it doesn't have that like you know really like shady label about how it's designed in sweden but Made in China or some other country with a not-so-great labor rights record. And no, no, it's not like that. No, you're you're going to pay $15 for that single plate 
and you're gonna like it because it was made in Italy, and it's gonna, like, last you through a nuclear fallout. Um, no, I'm, I'm actually not being facetious on that. I have some crate and barrel stuff I bought in grad, in grad school that I still have, ten years later, still using it. So, crate and barrel, though, like, yeah, it was not like a lot of these companies we have today where, you know, like, they're literally, like, you know, starting out to, like, be huge from the offset, like, some of these, like, you know, I don't really know about furniture startups in particular, but I'm thinking of, like, you know, some of these things that, like, I constantly hear about, you know, on, um, like, the tech and business news that, um, yeah, they, they are trying to rapidly grow, like, this company that's, like, barely a year old already wants to get investors and, like, try to, like, yeah, like, compete and be, like, the next IKEA or what have you, or whatever app-driven versions next. Um, and no, so Crate and Barrel was, did not have those kind of origins, because it was um, started up in uh, 1962 by Gordon and Carol um, Seagal in Chicago. Like, they were um, you know, a couple of Northwestern grads in their early 20s, and, you know, so they just, you know, were figuring out what to do. They didn't really, like, know what they want to do yet. So so they pooled their savings and they just decided on a lark to go open up a shop. And neither of them had any retail experience at all. You know, they were just, you know, taking a total risk because, you know, they were bored with like the kind of stuff that you know that they saw um, you know, in the shops in Chicago to go furnish their new their new place with. And so they figured that there are probably other young couples, you know, who wanted, like, stuff that was, like, cool and snazzy, you know, but was also, you know, still affordable. Um, and so they were really, you know, inspired by all of, like, the high-quality European goods that they saw on their honeymoon and thought that it would be, you know, really interesting to um, not only bring them back to America— but as like in addition to knowing nothing about retail, um, Gordon and Carol, you know, Seagal also did not really know about the import-export process. So they were actually pioneers, um, you know, little known to them. Um, you know, they were pioneers because they had completely cut out the middleman and didn't go wholesale. They, um, you know, they they wound up just trekking all over Europe, you know trying to find like you know these um these artisans and craftsmen and small factories you know like in Belgium and France like in Sweden they they talked to glass blowers enamelware factories like um to like a copper pot maker um in the French countryside and you know it was just the kind of stuff you couldn't find in America and it was like you know like, like this like amazing quality and craftsmanship and some of them, like, you know, like thinking of, like, Danish flatware, you know, the Halley's, like, innovative designs that you just, like, yeah, did not really see in the States. Um, and, yeah, so they just really, like, went all out with, like, trying to source all these oh, amazing products that, like, no one else was carrying. And, and so then the, the name Crate and Barrel came up because um, Carol Seagal, one of her friends, um, you know, had commented on, like, how cute and quirky it was that they displayed all the merchandise in the literal crates and barrels that it shipped in. Um, because, though, they were, yeah, so they were a bunch of broke kids just, like, 
splitting $17,000 in savings between them, which, like, even thinking in terms of, like, you know, modern money, that's still a decent chunk of change to start a business with that had to be a shitload of money in 1962 money. Um... But either way, you know, they were still, they still did not, you know, they were putting all the money on the product. They did not have the money for fixtures or for, like, making this small shop um, in the old, in Chicago's Old Town neighborhood, what used to be an elevator factory. Um, yeah, it was a small store, not much bigger than, like, say, a two-bedroom apartment in New York. And they just packed it to the brim with all the really interesting imports that they were getting from Europe and and so they displayed them in the original crates and barrels just as like what would now be regarded as like a gauche like hipster thing you know but like it was a really cute idea and people adored it um they adored it to the point that you know that like they were saying like their friends back and being like oh my god I did to check this out like look all these really cool things that you know we can't find in other stores like Oh, like look at this, you know, bowl like made by like a Czech uh, glass blower, and like yeah, these copper pots from France, um, like these artisanal like yo curtains from Sweden, and like these textiles from Finland. Like oh my god, this is so amazing, and and so I said, but they didn't really like make a big deal of that though. Like they just were like. Hey, here's what we got for sale. We don't, yeah, we're not ordering from like the middleman, these various wholesalers that have the same things you're going to see at the guy down the street. Like, no, it's so, like getting like European imports, it's like was pretty rare. Like, only like the really wealthy people could do that at the time. And so, as the, as the so, yeah, so as the brand, um, you know, continued, you know, to evolve, um, so, like, yes, like, Gordon Seagal was, like, doing, like, some door-to-door charity solicitations um, for an organization in the neighborhood um, in, a, in Wilmette, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago. And so then that was actually how he um, got the idea to start selling furniture, because he was looking, you know, like, at people's apartment, um, not apartments, I mean houses, and just being all, like, wow, like, they have these, like, gorgeous houses, they have nice cars, these people, you know, got good jobs, you know, successful businesses, but yet their furniture is so boring. Like, don't they want, like, interesting, expensive furniture to go show off? And so that was what led them to opening more stores in the Chicagoland area. And so then, what really made it, though, like, you know, happen, what really made this happen was, wasn't just the fact that he saw an opportunity and capitalized on it, but Taking, you know, like, note of what the European vendors were doing, you know, the Seagals just, like, really put, like, a lot of theatrical work into the displays, because they just saw, like, how much, you know, like, labor and love went into, like, these artistic vendor displays in Paris and Milan, and, like, these, like, random country, you know, random towns in, um, Scandinavia, and we're just like, yeah, you you make it a whole experience. It's not just like, oh, you know, like I have to go. Like nowadays, you would like be like, okay, I have to go stop, you know, in a pottery barn, you know, to go get like a dish towel as a gift or something like specific like that. Like, no, like this was like a place where you come to have an experience and see what you can find. And so that was like what set 
crate and barrel apart you know, from other um, home goods shops in the Chicagoland area. And then once like the furniture business began to really take off, like they're just like the, as in their theatrical displays got like all this attention and like immersion. That was really like what like kickstarted Crate and Barrel, you know, to go national and then eventually international. And so, yeah, um, and so oh yeah, so in 1967 was actually when they started doing the catalogs before they began, you know, moving on to you know like actually becoming a chain. But what's interesting is that um, the companies um, still privately own. Said so, it wasn't like the whole like. Oh my god, you got it. we gotta go chase that venture capital and go get like gobbled up like you would see with a lot of would-be chains today. Like, no, they, they, the Seagals just were about very much, you know, like keep staying true to the customer, to the image that they built, and you know, like making sure that their product mix was always like different from the competition and stayed true to those like European import routes. And what's interesting is that they have such an international presence, yet they have no stores in Europe. They're all in America, a few in Canada, Latin, a few in Latin America, a couple in Asian countries, but none in Europe, even though all the products are from Europe. And so Gordon Segal eventually like, you know, retired from his own company. I believe it was in like the mid to late aughts. Um, can't quite remember off the top of my head. But... Yeah, he eventually retired from his own company, but it's still, like, you know, just owned privately. Like, they didn't seek to, like, become, like, you know, like, a behemoth that could compete with Ikea. And they're still selling, yeah, like, oh, you know, yeah, like, innovative products, and, like, high-quality stuff from Europe that, yeah, that really stands out to people. And they just associate it, you know, with having, <coughs> you know, like, more prestigious home goods than you would get at, like, Ikea or Target but still, like, somewhat attainable, it, unless it's the furniture. That furniture is still unattainable, and no, I don't have a wish list full of it at all. No, you're you're lying. Um, no, I, I don't have that crate and barrel bed I can't wait to buy if I ever upgrade apartments. Um, yeah. Should I drop my wish list link? <laughs> um, so... Yeah, it's been really interesting reading up on um, the history of Crate and Barrel. Um, you know, I really enjoyed uh, learning about it from a, you know, business uh, point of view, too. I may cover some other, um, yeah, you know, like, home brand uh, histories. Uh, let, let us know if you want to see more of that type of content at homestratosphere.com. And make sure to follow us at Homestratos on Twitter. And I will catch you again next time.